This is a Card Games TV One podcast, episode ten. So, um, what card games companies should do with the booster sets? So these are just like my thoughts of how the booster sets, you know, should be how card games should be managed. Um, so, first thing is is that it's a game, you know, these are games, right? These are card games, right? You're supposed to make it where people can get the cards necessary to play the game. So, an idea I've always had was the, the idea that, at most, the way it should be a booster box, the way I used to think it, it was, was that they created a set, right? Let's say they made a 300-card set, so they create 300 unique cards for a specific set. And... I thought the way they do it is that they would get those, you know, print as many copies of the cards, right? They'll 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 make they'll grab all three hundred cards in the individual separate cards, right? Then shuffle them up, you know, randomize them, and then um, put them in packs until they add up to uh, you know twenty four packs. Well, I'm talking. I'm thinking of Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, Dra- Dragon Ball is 36 packs, I think, something like that. But it doesn't matter. The point is, in the the cards fit in into each pack, so you have enough packs and make a box, and then that's what it is. So if you buy the one booster box, you get all 300 cards. You get one copy of each card that comes from the set. So let's say the set comes with three, uh, um, with four. Since I'm talking about, talking about Dragon Super, comes with, uh, what was it? What would it be? One, let's say, well, since it's one of every card, if there's four SCRs, well, you get all four SCRs, for example. It will come in the set. You know, it will come in that one box. So, but if you don't buy the box, when you buy a couple packs, you randomly would get whatever it is in those packs, which comes from the 300 card selection, right? So, there's a potential to get a really, really nice card, or a couple of really nice cards in the same pack. Imagine pu- pulling two out of the four SCRs that, that comes in the set, you get two of them in one pack, that'd be epic, right? So that'd be pretty cool. Um... But the thing is, if you buy the box, you guarantee all the cards anyway, so, you know, <clears throat> it's it, it depends, right? If you buy a pack, you're paying a lot less, right? And you could get that really cool Selzeno, right? But you bought one pack. If you buy the whole box, you're guaranteed the Selzeno, but, you know, you're paying the premium of the box. So let's say the box cost $100 or $200 to get the box. Alright, you're paying $100 to $200 to guarantee a sales in all, plus every other card that comes in the set. Right? Which, to many people, that's worth it, right? That makes sense. You know, you're paying $100 to, to between $1 to $200 for a box. You, you deserve to get the good shit in there, right? Because you paid for it. Remember, again, these are pieces of paper. These are cardboard, right? These, these are not worth <laughs> the, ex- the, ex- the ridiculous price tags that they have because their physical value, what they're made of, is not worth that, right? But, whatever. You know, supply and demand, right? We, we get it. But the thing is, is that 
you know, it makes sense to pay a lot if you're guaranteed something. It doesn't make sense to pay a lot for not guaranteed something, right? For randomness. Now, I understand it as an individual box. I mean, like when you buy individual packs, that, again, I like the idea of randomness because of the potential of you getting some, you know, getting some really cool stuff. Plus, it allows you to do the trade thing because if other people are buying packs from that same box, then y'all could trade and this and that. It's like, well, I got this SCR. I'll trade you for that SCR, you know, that kind of stuff. That'd be cool. That's the way it should be. That's how it always seemed like it was supposed to be. And then... And maybe at some point in time, you know, when Magic started doing it first, and then Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, started copying, maybe it was like that at first, where if you bought one box, you literally got every one copy of every card. But we noticed that over time, they started making it where the, the ratios were different, where there was more copies of a specific, you know, specific cards. A lot of commons, a lot of, you know, which we, which we call bulk. So they start filling up these packs with bulk. So now, when you get a really good card, like when you open up a pack, you might get you might get lucky. You get one really good card, and the rest of the cards are trash, right? Bulk, as they say, right? And it's like fillers. It's like damn. So pretty much now, I'm not paying money for a stack of good cards or cards that come in the set, random cards that come from that specific 300 card set. So I could pull really, really good, you know, for, for five bucks or however much the packs cost, right? No. I'm paying five bucks, let's say, for a pack just to definitely guarantee bulk because the thing is filled with mostly bulk and then maybe, just maybe one decent card that might be worth the five bucks I paid for. But on average, it tends to be something that's not worth what you pay for. You might get a nice shiny card, but the card's only worth a dollar. You paid five for the pack. Does that make? Does that fair? Does that make sense? No. Um, obviously, you can get the same similar result if you were to, um, you know, do the whole three hundred card set, randomize them into one box. You might buy a pack for five bucks and get a whole bunch of like commons and uncommons. You know, a whole bunch of. Uh, non-shiny cards. Like you have a whole pack where none of the cards are foil, none of the cards are hollow. That is possible, but you could also get a pack that has a lot of hollows. That's also possible. But like I said, ultimately, if you buy the whole box, you get everything, so it's not that big of a deal, right? It's not that bad of a trade-off. Because the thing is, it's a decision. It's like, if you choose to try to be, you know, you choose to pay less, or you can only afford less, well, you know what happens when you when you pay less, right? You get what you pay for, right? You pay less, you have less chance of getting something good. But if you pay more, you should get good, right? So that's why when you buy a whole box, you should get all the cards. When you buy one or two packs, maybe you'll 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 get lucky and get really really good stuff, or you'll get the mediocre stuff. Hey, you only paid five five to ten bucks to get you know two packs, right? So shouldn't be too surprised that you didn't get some. Super amazing thing. But the thing I hate is that the way they make the boxes, they have it set up where a large majority of the packs are trash. One or two in the box is where the good stuff is at. And that's, and that's fucked up. Because then you're creating a lottery-like situation, which it shouldn't be the case. You know, somebody buys a pack, they should get something good. 
Uh, I remember one time there was a, a um, in Yu-Gi-Oh, well, I use Yu-Gi-Oh as an example, in Yu-Gi-Oh, there was a thing called Premium Pack. Um, and I thought it was a lot like every other pack, you know, like every other booster set. So, um, what happened? I bought six packs, I think it was. Um, but what was ironic was is that I didn't know that these packs specifically came with, uh, like, I think the, the, those packs come with, like, what, ten, ten cards per pack? So, uh, ten or nine? Anyway, I think it was nine, nine, nine cards. But there were nine specific cards. That means all six packs had the exact same cards. I did not know that. And I was like, oh. So, in reality, all I had to do was buy three so I could have a playset of every card. That was cool, but... Since I was so used to the packs just randomly having a whole bunch of different stuff, that I was like, I'll buy six and I get a whole bunch of different stuff. But instead, I ended up getting uh, essentially pretty much two playsets of everything when I only needed one playset of everything. So, but the extra playsets, obviously, I, I traded them off. Um, so it, it, it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, it was just surprising, like, oh snap. They actually can do this. They actually can make it where every pack has the same, same, um, same cards. So all I all I need is three. If I if I need three copies of a card, and that's awesome because one, it was worth the money. It was worth paying for it because I guarantee I get stuff that I want. And I was looking for like specific cards, so it was awesome that I got the specific cards. And then, um, like I said, it was worth the money because I'm getting what I want. I know what I'm getting, you know, now, right? <laughs> After I open them, I'm like, okay, I get every card. Awesome. So I know what I'm getting, and I could, you know, and it was worth paying for it, because I get what I want, and whatever extra I had that I didn't want, at least I was able, I had play sets that I could trade to other people. And then trading, you know, is a thing. And that's another thing, is trading card games are becoming less trading cards, and they're more just card games. You know, like, the trading part of the game is is being is is being left out because it's now it's just like I give you money for cards and part of the problem is is because of scarcity because of printing cards and making them hard to get where you know which is a contradiction imagine if I bought a box of playing cards and I open the box and literally the whole box is full of jokers it's like, wait, I'm supposed to have 52 individual cards, right? 52 cards to play poker or rummy or whatever, or spades or whatever, blackjack, whatever game I want, right? And I'm supposed to have a whole bunch of different cards. But instead, the whole box is full of joker cards. You know? It's, you know, that's a waste of money. I wouldn't buy, I would not have bought a box full of joker cards. I would have bought a box that had a whole bunch of, you know, had kings, queens, jacks, and all that stuff. Right, so the idea that we, you know, companies and even legislations and stuff are allowing the idea of like, yeah, these boxes, these products can be random. It's like, no. I understand lottery tickets being random, but again, that's gambling. Why are booster boxes, packs, stuff that has to do with a game, random? And on top of that is the fact that it, these are supposed to be boosters, right? The idea of the term boost, right? The idea is to boost, which means I should be able to buy and upgrade whatever I'm playing 
with what I with what I buy, which means I should be able to buy a pack that specifically has cards in it that I can boost my deck with. It shouldn't the the, the stuff that's in the the pack shouldn't be random. That I'm not guaranteed to get what I need to boost my deck. It's not really boosting my deck if the cards in there are are not generic enough, right? Not specific enough for my for my needs. In Dragon Ball Super, for example, if I play, if I play in a blue deck, then I'm gonna need blue packs, right? I'm gonna need packs that have blue cards. Even if you're still gonna make them random, even though I disagree with the idea of randomizing, if you're gonna still do it, at least packs that like you know blue, randomly get blue cards in one pack, randomly get red cards in another pack, and so forth and so forth. You know, and have an assortment. That way, if I'm like, okay, I just need blue cards. You know, I'm looking for some specific blue cards. I'll just buy the blue packs because, you know, I'm a, the blue cards that I want from the set will, will more likely come in those blue packs. I don't want to buy random, you know, two random packs and it turns out that one one has a lot of green cards and one has a lot of, uh, you know, um, yellow cards. And it's like, but I played blue. This was a waste of money. This was a waste of time me to buy these packs and then not get what I need you know because we don't we're not we're not we don't play these games randomly you know like we don't play the card games randomly we play the card games specifically we like to build things and do things specifically we like to create it's hard to create when you got random junk we need specific stuff if I'm trying to create a hatchiac deck right then I want all the stuff that I need to make a hatchiac deck or a Boma deck, or a, uh, what large type is out there, uh, King Vegeta deck or something, I need the card specifically for it. I don't want random stuff that don't work together, that makes no sense. Um, like, to a certain degree, I can understand that concept of randomness for draft boxes, for draft sets, so people can, you know, draft and, and, and be able to build decks, you know, with random assortments of generic cards and, you know, be able to create something on a whim, and that's cool. But when it comes to just general purpose, when it comes to people, you know, buying into a set, they should be able to buy a whole bunch of packs and get a whole bunch of good stuff that they can use. As well as, you know, if they want to buy a box, they can buy a box, right? Or two boxes and get a whole bunch of stuff because <sighs> ultimately um, it would be nice if if I could just buy four boxes of a set uh, Supreme Rivalry is the new set coming out so let's say I, so I should be able to buy at maximum just four boxes and get every card in the set four copies of each let's say there are four <laughs> SCRs Per box, um, and um, of course they're all different. But since I bought four boxes, I have four copies of each SCR. Well, if the you know obviously if they're SCRs, they're more likely ultimates. Therefore, I don't need more than one copy. Um, so all the extra, all the extra three copies of each SCRs, I can trade or sell to somebody else. But it won't be for an extremely high, ridiculous price because of the fact that 
it wasn't that hard to get since I just bought boxes and they automatically came in there. So this is the way it's supposed to be. Because what's extra weird, right? Extra weird is that the card game companies, right? They mainly make their money from the first market, right? We, we refer to when we sell cards, secondary. So the first market is when they sell boxes, right? They sell cases to distributors. Distributors sell the boxes to to shops. And the card shops sell, you know, opens the boxes and lets the customers buy packs or whole boxes. Or a whole box. So that kind of stuff. And that's how it trickles down. That's how that, that chain of of commerce works so the first so so again back to the first market the company already made their money they don't make money from the secondary market they don't make money from you know you know from from the card shops or the distributors well they make money from the distributors because obviously they sold it to the distributors but the point is they make money from selling to the distributors what happens after that doesn't matter to the to the card company it shouldn't because they already got their money which was selling the the, the sets Right, the, the cases. So, with that in mind, it's <laughs> the, the, the boxes, right, the boxes should be preset. As in, they are guaranteed to have, you know, specific cards from a specific set. Because I, I, I design card games and I will have, like, my own card game company, among other things that I'm doing. But, uh, these are things I'm thinking, like... I, I would, I want people to be able to, like, buy a whole booster box and get at least one copy of every card from from the set that I, you know, that I design or create or have a team design create so that way they can play whatever they want to play. They can play any, any deck. And, you know, they, as an individual person, can, if I, if I make the game where you need max, a maximum of three copies of every card, then the maximum they would have to buy would be three boxes to be able to have every card, place of every card in the game, in the set, so they could play any strategy they want. So if there's like multiple arch types in that set, well, they could play it. They could play any of those decks, any of those arch types. If they want to trade those arch types to somebody else, they can, right? Especially if it's somebody who maybe doesn't um, buy into packs or something like that, doesn't really buy in the game. Like a friend or something, like, hey, let me give you this this deck. These are all extra um, cards for another deck, another arch type, and I give it to someone, right? So that'd be kind of cool, you know. Or people can can put money together to buy three boxes just so they can have um, access to all these, um, all you know, all the cards in the set, and you know, three copies of each, for example, since they bought three boxes, and then. You know, everybody, you know, pick and choose what they want to play. I want to play this deck. Okay, I want to play that deck. All right, cool. And then everybody benefits. So you can have three people, players, you know, friends. They can buy, they can pitch in money together to buy three boxes and, you know, have access to multiple decks. Obviously, they'll want one one deck one deck each for themselves, especially if they're not playing the same deck. I mean, if they all want the same deck, <laughs> that's a different story. Then they have to buy more boxes to try to get the extra extra copies of the cards necessary to play the same deck but most people like to be different or play play what they like so you know that's an option so it just seems weird the idea of 
instead of making it easy to get cards, card game companies are making it hard to get cards. Even though it don't make sense to do so, considering the fact that it doesn't boost their own individual sales, 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 <laughs> sales, because they make they mainly make money through the first market, which is selling to distributors. You know, the secondary market is where like a lot of money is being circulated, but that's because of short supply. The card game company can produce as much product as they want, so they can make a lot of first uh, first market money if they print it a lot. I understand like first wave, you know, first edition um, supply, you know, be a short print of first edition, and then every other edition after the, every other printing after that, obviously, will be the unlimited editions, of course, so they can print a lot. So there should be a lot of supply. There should be short supply on the first edition copies of cards, right? Because you were testing the waters. You were seeing to see if the if the set was um, popular. And if, this, if there's a high demand for the for the set, then you print a whole bunch of the set, right? To, 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 you know, to uh, feed the demand. Um, that's what the unlimited is supposed to be for. Then if, for some reason, later on, people want reprints because they want to revisit some old sets, and it's like, oh, man, we want some more. Like, especially if it, was, if, if it was a set that wasn't popular, like, where it didn't get a, a lot of, it didn't get a, a big, uh, you know, unlimited uh, rep, uh, you know, um, printing, then they can revisit it and reprint the old set, old sets that were, weren't popular in the past, but now they have popularity. Now they're useful. People want them now. So it's like, all right, we'll reprint some old stuff and, you know, make money. And then again, that's this first market. And, and that's the funny thing is because the more popular certain cards are, the more in demand people, the more people want certain specific cards, that's great for the company because then the company doesn't have to do the guesswork, right? They don't have to guess what would be profitable. They know what's profitable, which is reprints. Their main money for the first for the for the uh, first market comes from reprints. That's their version of the secondary market, which is reprints. They know what's popular. They know what people want. Like for example, most of us, you know, want access to these SCRs, right? We want these ultimates. We want to sell Zenos and the baby hatchy acts, right? So it'd be nice. That they they come up with a they, they reprint these cards, you know um, it's understandable they make them lower rarity because you don't want to um, diminish the value of the originals, you know, but you still want to you know make these cards available so people can play them, right? People want to collect gets the original. People want to just play the damn cards gets the reprints. The common sense, and the company can make as much money as they they can. It's first market, remember, first market through selling the reprints. That is where their big money comes from. Is reprints, not the booster sets and stuff. Booster sets is just to f figure out what is what is, what what is popular. You know what what cards are you know need to be re you know what cards are worthy. Of being reprinted, right? Which which cards are profitable to reprint? That's what I mean to say. And the, and I'm thinking of it, thinking of it from the aspect of a business person, 
like as if I'm running Bandai. I'm not thinking of it as a player. I'm not thinking of it as a customer. As a player, as a customer, of course, uh, I want access to certain cards. I want the cards so I can play the game. If I can't play the game, then why am I spending any money on it, right? It makes no sense to put money into a game that you can't even play because you can't even get what you want, right? If you can't get what you want, then it's worth nothing. So it's, that's why it's weird that comp, you know, card game companies want to do the random thing. It's like, no, there's different ways of doing stuff. If you want to cater to the collector's market, you know, people who like having nice shiny things and PS grade them and, and, and flip them and sell them and scalp or whatever you want to call it, you know, you, you want the, you know, you want to cater to that, that is fine. You can do that, and you can do that in different ways. You don't need to um, make it hard to get these cards and give them high rarities and put them um, in sets and make them hard to get in the sets. Right? You can just uh, um, the way I like it is that make 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 the the like I'll use a victory strike. Alright, so victory strike. You should have the, the the version that we have, you know, the high rarity version that everybody PSA grades. Have that one, but have that separate as a you know as a as as a limited thing, you know, something where you could probably get at a at maybe pull it out of a tournament pack or something similar to that, you know, a way to make it scarce, a way to make it very valuable because it was hard to get. That that makes sense, especially if you give it as tournament pricing, then it's even better, right? Because then it gives it the scarcity and all that good stuff. And it just feels good when you open up a, your, your packs that you won at a tournament and you get a victory strike, right? That'd be amazing. Especially when there's only but so many supply in the world. But of that specific, you know, foiling and all that stuff, right? But there is a playable version that anyone can get their hands on that comes from, from a main set that's of, way, of a way lower rarity, you know, in comparison. That way you have a collector version of the card and then a playable version of the card. One that just anyone, you know, can, 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 you know, relatively get access to by buying it, right? Whether it be in the first market through buying boxes or secondary market through buying it from somebody, uh, you know, individually. So stuff like that makes sense, you know, to have it that way. And then, like I said before, the whole reprint things, the fact that you can reprint you know, a lot of a lot of cards that are a little hard to get, so people can can get them. Especially if you if you made them um, specific, like pro, pro, promotional cards, right? Whereas, like, let's say, what example can I use um, of something that would be nice to get reprinted? Let's say Baby Hatchet didn't come in a set. Let's say Baby Hatchet was. A promo card that you got from give me a sec a promo card you you could you randomly could get from going to see the no that wouldn't make sense why would why would why would it Broly why would Broly why would you go watch the Broly movie and get baby hatchet. I mean, it's possible. Let's let's say let's use that as an example because it doesn't matter. Let's say example. So you go watch the Broly movie. You pay your ticket. You get a pack. You randomly open it, and you randomly get the baby hatchet. 
that's a surprise, right? You're like, oh, damn, what is this? You watch the movie, you don't see the baby, you know, baby Hatchack in the movie. He's like, why did this pack have this card when the character's not even in this, you know, in this movie? You know, that kind of stuff. But it ultimately doesn't matter. The point is, is that you were able to get it. And you got it randomly. You did, you know, you weren't, you weren't trying to get it. You didn't know that you can get it until you actually got it. And then, right there, it's, you know, collector value for, ha for having that specific version, right? But then, of course, with reprint value, right? Reprint. Bad Dye can reprint the card. And, you know, in a lower rarity. Um, so people who want to play the card can have the card to play. But the one that was originally pulled from a pack that, that went to watch the movie... That could be the one for collectors. That way, again, the main point is that collectors have nothing against collectors. You know, they, they definitely deserve to have their thing. They should be able to collect, you know, um, shiny things. But it shouldn't be, at the same time, interfering with the supply of the people who are just trying to play the game. Especially people who are trying to play competitively. And then you got people who try to play casually. That's another thing. We got competitive players and casual players, and we're mixing, and we're not supposed to be mixing. We're supposed to be separate. You know, you, you, you're casual because you're casual. You're playing for fun, so you're buying packs and this, that, and third, and just playing the game, enjoying, enjoying the game um, in general. Then the people who want to play competitively and... They can play competitively and get these nice, you know, um, you know, hard to get cards, right? You know, these, you know, these uh, random high rarity cards, and they can, you know, make some money, right, by selling these hard, you know, these random, you know, um, limited edition cards, you know, promos and whatnot, um, cards that they won, you know, from packs, from tournaments that they won the packs from, can can sell it to the collectors. Now the collectors have what they want, which is collectible cards. The competitive players got to play competitively. Right? They got to put money, a lot of money into, you know, playing the game and traveling and doing all this stuff. And they were able to get at least most of their money back because most competitive players like that ability, the idea of, you know, being able to make some money um, off, of the, off of the game. Because they take this game a little bit more of a on the professional type of category, right, where, you know, they they expect there to be money involved in, in it for themselves. They're, it's not just they're trying to spend money just to spend money. They, they want to feel like they're getting a return on the investment, per se. Then you got the collectors who are mainly um, they're investors, or they collect because they just like to collect mainly investors, as in they collect for the purpose of the cards going up in value over time and selling it to somebody else um, when the when the price is right, as they say. But at least everything, every every category, you know, casual, competitive, and collectors slash investors, they all have their thing. The problem is, is that when we're when when all three of these categories are dipping in to the same supply, right? the same booster sets. You know, a booster set comes out, you got the collectors trying to get the high rarity cards from the set. You got the competitive players trying to get 
the good cards from the set to play competitively, which typically will be the higher rarity cards that the collectors want, right? Then the casual players will like, well, I just want to have fun. I just want to play everything. Hey, you know, I am a casual player, but I still want to play a baby hatchet or sell Zen or whatever. You know, I still want the ability to get a good card and play it, you know, casually. Yeah, but the competitive player wants it. But then the but the, the, the collector wants it. So that's the thing. You got three different groups that want the same thing. For different reasons, mind you. But they want the same thing. So they're literally all trying to get into one box, one product, one one supply. One cookie jar, as it were. And that creates that problem. And that's where you get all this craziness that's going on in the card game community. You got people that don't even play the game. They're a lot more closely related to the collector category. And again, nothing wrong with the collectors. They're entitled to, they got they got money. They're entitled to, to buy whatever they want. And if they want cards, you know, they want to collect cards, you know, nice shiny cards, that is totally fine. But the company should, should understand those three things and make sure that all three um, groups of, of customers, you know, all three of them are catered in a way that they all benefit without stepping on each other's toes, as it were. You know, a casual player should be able to buy a couple packs and get some, some, some good cards for their money. Right? Competitive players should definitely be able to get what they need through trades and buying, you know, singles and boxes. That's where the second market comes in, right? Being able to, you know, get stuff specifically. And then the collectors, they just want the shiny stuff. And they should be able to get it in, um, you know, through certain means. Like from the competitive players or, you know, or, you know, buy the, buy the singles through, you know, uh, you know, the secondary market, for example. Obviously, you know, like maybe car shops or something like that that might sell singles. You know. Um, the company itself could sell alternate arts or high rarity versions of cards that are popular. That once once was a low rarity. I'll use Victory Strike as as an example. <sighs> Imagine if um, Victory Strike wasn't shiny, wasn't an SCR. I think it's an SCR, right? It wasn't an SCR. But if it was just a rare, basic rare, foil, but rare. Alright, well then Bandai can sell through their site or through some other method, can sell or make available like through promo or pricing through tournaments and stuff, make available the SCR version, right? And then, again, like I said, you know, those who want it, got to pay for it, right? They want it, they got to pay whatever it takes to get that. But everybody else who's like, well, yeah, I don't care about the high rarity card version or the sh how shiny it is. I don't care. I don't want it for collection because I'm not a collector. I just want to play the card for this combo or strategy that I'm using in a deck. I just want to play the game. Then, okay, you get the low rarity rare foil. You don't get the SCR version because you don't need it. It being SCR has nothing to do with you, you know. <laughs> it doesn't make it stronger of a card that it's an SCR. It still does the same thing. An SCR version of Victory Strike does the same thing. A rare or even a 
non-foil version does has the same effect. So its rarity, its shininess, it's irrelevant. It's just relevant to some people, not to everybody. So for gameplay purposes, being shiny means nothing. But for collectability, yeah, shiny means something. And that's the difference. So that's why it really, really uh, seems so weird that it's like these companies, um, you think over time they would have um, understood that there's, th there's three different markets. There's the casual player, people who just buy packs here and there and just play and just, you know, play for fun and trade in this and that, right? And then, the, so so their decks are not like, you know, finely tuned per se, like how a competitive player would would, would, would would do it. But a competitive player would be specifically honing in for specific cards, specific amounts, different you know, ratios. They might even, you know, want to be... Since they got the money for it, they want to bling bling, they want to show off, so they get the high rarity versions of cards, you know, foil the whole deck. Hey, to each their own, they got the money, they could do that. And then you got the collectors, right? Who just want the, you know, stuff that uh, over time can be worth money through nostalgia, through uh, scarcity, you know, whatever. Totally fine. But it's just sad that, like, especially I see it in Dragon Ball Super, is that since they didn't reprint as much as they should, you expect them to reprint a lot. You expect them to come out with a... Every time they come out with a new set, they automatically have a reprint set for the last set. Or maybe the last two sets or something. Like, especially if it's this... Um, or sets from the block. Something like that. You get the idea. It's like, so that way, they can always make sure that people who started playing the game... And when, and when the new set dropped, they still have act, They still can get cards from the last set, for example, because right next to the new set, you'll see you'll see the reprint set. The reprint set is the reprint of the last set that was the that, that came out not, not too long ago, right? And you know that way, newer players can you know one jump in and play the new stuff that just came out, but also still have access to old set, especially if there was cards in the old set that uh, can be added to the new set. Just like how we get, we got the new Android 13 cards, well you can use it with the old Android 13 cards and later and stuff. So you can, you know, you can mix the, the you know, old with the new. So, stuff like that. It just seems weird that you know, the car, these card game companies don't seem to do that that way when they should. Especially Bandai should definitely be doing that because, you know, it just makes sense. You know, they if you know they want money, so their money definitely comes from the first market, which is selling boxes, right? Booster boxes, you know, packs and stuff like that. But when they, you know, when they make it, they make, you know, boxes. And then those boxes goes into cases. Cases go to distributors, distributors, you know, distribute the, the, the boxes. So, that's why, to me, it's very important that, you know, people, when they buy boxes, for example, they get good stuff. And there should be a big supply of boxes. Obviously, the first edition should be a low print run, just, you know, to test out the market, just to test out the product, just to see if it's worth doing an unlimited run. You know, to print a whole bunch more. Again, because you're trying to make sure everybody has access to it. You're trying to keep the cost of the game down. 
to keep the players in the game, to keep players happy, to make sure that people are not like, oh my god, this is ridiculous. You know, it's it's been a month or two, and now all these cards are like a thousand dollars a copy, and that's ridiculous that these cards are so hard to get. Like this is just a game; it shouldn't be this expensive to play a game, especially when we know it didn't cost this much to make the game in the first place. These cards don't cost aren't didn't cost this much to make. More likely, it cost a penny to make a Zeno, but that damn card is over two hundred dollars. That's ridiculous. Literally, cost a penny to make, but we're, we're we're spending hundreds of dollars on it, and that shouldn't be the case. That's why when the game first came out, yeah, it was nice. It was dirt cheap because you know the 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 demand for the game was low because it was new. Not many people, you know, was uh, many people were playing other games, and it took a while for us to get people from other games to come over to this game, and then. And then the supply was a little bit bigger than the demand. Because, again, there wasn't that many people playing it. But once the demand started growing, and since the supply didn't grow, then that's where a lot of the cars started going up. That's where I Senzo beans were like five bucks a pop and, and growing. I remember, um, what's the name? Um, like how, like, it was a lot of money for uh, Champa and East Supreme Kai's. Like... If I'm right, they're cheap now, but at the time, you know, they're, they're, they, I think they were like 50 cents at first, but they quickly shot up to like a dollar, two dollar, three dollars. I'm like, oh, okay, this is going up. And it's like, you know, once it hits like two to three, it's like, yeah, it's, you know, the, I need four of them. So them being two dollars each, for example, that's eight dollars just for four cards. And I still gotta make a 50 card deck, right? You know, and it adds up because, if I was to, let's say I spent a dollar on each card, then for a 50 card deck, plus the leaders, so 51, that'd be $51 if I was paying a dollar for everything. But if everything that I want is suddenly $2, then I'm spending twice that much. So it's uh, $102. It's like, damn, $102 for one deck? I could... I could pay like what ten bucks and get a structure deck, you know, or starter deck or something. And ironically, I did I did get the starter coup, start structure deck, and some packs. But you get my point. Is the fact is like, anyway, it will cost, you know, it will cost, <clears throat> you know, a lot, a hundred dollars, especially for you know anybody who doesn't make money like that, <clears throat> especially if you're young or you just don't have a job, so you don't really have any money, so, you know. Obviously, you should get a job or find some way of making money so that we, you know, you could afford this hobby, regardless. But at some point, it shouldn't go too high to the point where it's like it'll cost you a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars to build a deck. It's like, damn, that's ridiculous. A thousand, two thousand for one deck. I understand spending a thousand, two thousand dollars for a whole collection of cards, like thirty thousand plus cards. And you can make as many decks as you want. But to spend a thousand to two thousand for one deck, that's just ridiculous. And it shouldn't be the case. You know, unless your deck consists of all these collectible cards. Like like when I mean collectors like collect you know, like you know you know, the kind of cards that 
a collector would collect for, you know, collecting purposes, that would make sense that it would be that high because you got all these collectible cards. Like all these cards that would be good for the collector's market. Um, filling up your deck, then it, it makes sense it's expensive. But if you just have staples, just cards that are just generically good that you need definitely four of in order to play the game, you know, be ridiculous. Like, imagine spending, you know, 40 bucks for a play set of Senzu Beans or something, or Dimension Magic, or any Super Combo, or, you know, you know, it, you know, just, you know, and that's just for four cards, and then, you, again, you need 51 cards, so imagine spending 10 bucks on every card, so that's 51 plus, I said 10, right? So that's like, what, $510, something like that. Yeah, $510. So you're spending half a, almost, almost a thousand dollars, right? Just to make one 51 card deck. Just because every card costed 10 each. And it's like, but a lot of these cards are not shiny, <laughs> you know, and the list goes on and on. Um, I remember paying a, a pretty, pretty hefty price for these, um, one drop Goku and Vegeta cards. They were like between twenty-five to thirty bucks for each copy. Um, then I got them, and I was like, "Oh, I'm surprised! They're non-foil." Now I prefer to play non-foil. I mean, since I bought them for the purpose of playing them, you know, I prefer it the cards to be non-foil for actual play, um, play, um, playability. But I was surprised that they weren't foil because I was like. Man, I spent so much. They should have been foil. But okay. You know. Beggars can't be choosers, as they say sometimes. But I expect them to be foil. That was the thing. I expect them to be foil. I was a little surprised they weren't. I'm like, And they definitely would have looked badass if they were foil. Because they didn't look so good being non-foil. So that was a little surprising for me. But at the same time, it's like, hey. I got them. I can use them. Um, you know. And that's what I want to do. I want to make sure I... I use them because I spent a little too much for cards that I'm not going to use. That would be uh, very uh, salty. Um, so, definitely will tr um, be putting those uh, the Goku and Vegeta to good use. The fact that it counts as both Goku and Vegeta makes them very uh, makes the card very useful. And it's one energy. And has has the ability to gain an attack. Has the ability to send to being your leader. So, it's, it's you know, it's, it's a good card. Um, it has some... It has some uses, you know, especially if you're trying to do some Union Patara, or you're trying to do some EX Evolve play, or you're trying to do um, some um, Union Fusion, um, so, uh, and many other things. Uh, it has a lot of use. It being both Goku and Vegeta um, has a lot of uses, especially in this game, since they tend to cater a lot to Goku and Vegeta. And Saiyans in general, but definitely Goku and Vegeta. So this definitely is a good card that will hold its value, um, playability-wise, in the long in the long run. So it being not shiny and costing a lot, um, it's worth it. <laughs> it's worth it with the, the, those details of it. It will it will still hold uh, some playability value. Over time, but um, let's see what else. Uh, 
talked about reprints, like how they, how that's their main money maker is reprints. I started starter decks, especially putting reprints in starter decks is nice. Um, of like really, really useful cards, especially if 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 this, especially if it if it. I'm not saying that they haven't done it a little bit because I noticed there's some de starter decks that do have certain reprints that are good to have because it makes sense since the deck uh, plays a certain way you do need certain staple reprints or, or reprints of staples so like for example if they made a green deck that does hand control it makes sense that they have rebrand reprinted in there right that would make sense most people would want to play rebrand with a green leader in a hand you know destruction deck so it would make sense that rebrand gets reprinted in that type of um, structure deck for for example um, so that makes sense or if they made a structure deck where they made a new rebrand leader or something like that like they made a rebrand leader and because um, right yeah she doesn't even have a leader <laughs> if I'm right so but let's say they made a re oh, oh she does right I think yeah she does because in my mind it looks like right there's a rebrand leader anyway point is let's say they make a new one so they make a new rebrand leader and you know yeah there's a rebrand leader I can see her in my mind right now anyway so they make a new one um, you know and you know some new cars to support the maidens and you know obviously repairing some of the old maidens uh, would uh, make sense to make it easy so for somebody to be able to play the new maiden stuff you know, and all right, they have access to the old stuff. Instead of trying to find the old stuff, they could just buy this 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 product, the starter deck, and will have not only the new stuff, the new support, you know, the new stuff that supports the the arch type, but automatically have access to the old stuff. Now, if they want to get the higher rarity versions, or they just want the original versions of these cards from the original sets, um, then well, that's up to them. They'll spend the time and the money to go try to get the original versions, but for those who don't want to do that, well, you still you still can play the strategy. You still can you still can have your reprinted rebrand if you you know instead of you know the the original higher rarity version, you can get the low rarity version. Same thing as they they made a blue deck and put a whole bunch of low rarity uh you know non foil uh, ogunis for example. You know, for those who want the 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 card and play the strategy to play it and all that stuff, can do so. But if they want to bling bling it, as they say, then go get the original high rarity and pay the high rarity price. <sighs> so many things that they, they could be doing properly. I just these are just thoughts that I had. It's like if I was running Bandai or if I was running a card game um, these are things that I would do these are things I would consider um, because, I would, because I understand there's like there's three different markets there's the casual player that just they just want to have fun they just want to play the game and sometimes they don't want to spend a lot of money just to play the game for fun and that's fine they shouldn't have to be forced in some shape way or form um, by a low supply of uh, um, cards um, or especially if there's a low supply that means it'll hard, be hard for casual players to get access to them 
But one, it makes it hard for everybody because if the supply is low and you have three different groups trying to get get into this one supply, that's what creates the problem because you got you got everybody putting their hands in the same cookie jar, but there's only but so many cookies in the jar. So that's why you got to print more, print a specific way that caters to all three um, groups, and that's the way I would do it because I would because I take that into consideration. I'm like, yes, there's a collector's market. There's a competitive market, and then there's a casual market. I need to cater to all three. I need to make sure that, not caters per se, but I mean, take all three to account and make sure that they all have, you know, what they need. Because if the, let's say, if, if the casual market outnumbers the competitive and the collector's market, then it makes sense to print a lot, for example, a lot, and make it really easily accessible to play certain cards, you know, to play cards, you know, you know, cards in, in multiple sets, because you have a, com a casual audience, so they'll they'll be the ones buying the bulk, the bulk, literally the bulk of your uh, products, your your game, because you know they're just they're playing casually, and you want to make sure that they can, since they're casual, they're not. The big spenders—they're not the whales of the of the game uh, of the game, right? So you shouldn't expect them to spend a lot. You expect them to spend a little bit, enjoy the game here and there casually. That's the point of casual. Casual does not mean they they're addicted like crackheads or something to your game. They play this casually. They they play it once in a while whenever they got nothing better to do type thing. Or they just again they play it for fun, not for anything else. So they don't, they don't need every card that you print. They don't need to chase things. That whole idea of like, oh, there's chase cards. It's like, uh, who's chasing them? Because it's not the casual players. Casual players just don't don't want to chase. They want to be given. They want you to give them cards for them to play and enjoy the game. They don't want to go chase and look for for stuff. Uh, the ones who are going to chase or look should be the collectors, and they can look all they want. The, and then when they find what they're looking for, then you know they get what they want because they can afford it. The, the competitive players need to be able to, you know, um, get the stuff they need, whether they they trade with the com casual players or among or among the competitive players. Most, ironically, most competitive players tend to borrow from each other anyway. They don't, not every, not every competitive player buys into every set. Sometimes they'll, they'll have, they'll buy like certain like staples, stuff that they know they're going to use all the time. And then they'll buy like a couple obscure, you know, tech cards here and there for like certain, um, certain archetypes that comes out in a new set. But they usually rely on other people. That's why we have teams and stuff. Of groups of people who come together to help each other out to make sure that if somebody wants to play a certain strategy, everybody in the team and the group or whatever helps out that person, you know, obtain the stuff that they need, either through borrowing, trading, selling, whatever, you know. So there's that, the community aspect within that category. But then you got, again, like I said, the collectors, they just, they just want specific cards. The shinier, the better, the, you know, the rarer, the better, right, and all that good stuff. So it's like you gotta you gotta make everything work. These are the things I consider 
you know, if, if I, you know, when I put out my, my own games and stuff, then I want to do it um, like that because I want to make sure that everybody can enjoy it. You know, I, I want the collectors to be happy with their shiny cards, but at the same time, I don't want uh, people who want to play the game, especially casual or competitive, to miss out on cards just because I want to make the, the, the collectors happy. Just because I want to make people who only... Well, there's two types of collectors, right? There's the ones who collect because they actually want to have the cards because they actually like the cards. They like the nostalgia. They like the, the ability to look at the collection and be like, yo, I got these cards. These cards look so cool. I have to own it because this card looks so badass, so I have to own it. All right, cool. Then you got the ones who collect for value, right? Collect for the purpose of someday this will be worth money and I'll sell it, right? Investors. So there's collectors and investors in the same category, right? So, with that in mind, it's like, yeah, you know, you, you don't want to cater to them and be like, oh, you got to make sure they're happy, make sure that their cards are worth money, but why though? The, their cards are going to be worth money regardless, they're going to be worth money because somebody's going to want their the versions of the cards they have, you know, in the future, if someone cares, right? But it shouldn't be like we gotta make them worth money now by deliberately making it where there isn't extra copies of the cards available. So that's why these cards are extremely expensive now. <laughs> when now it doesn't matter for when it comes to collective, when it comes to investors or collectors. It's more about the future, not about now. So now, the car shouldn't be worth that much. Right now, the car should be cheap. Right? And easy to get. And in the future, it could be harder to get. Because in the future, the game would have changed to the point where those cards are not as important for the game in the future. Because the, you know, the game has changed so much over time. But for nostalgia purposes, for you know, you know the fact that these cards weren't, you know, printed to oblivion, as they say. You know, they were printed a couple times for like maybe two to three years. But after that, you know, you stop making newer copies of the cards. That after a while, yeah, scarcity, especially if a lot of the cards start um, over time, you know, get damaged, lost, wear and tear, all that stuff. And, you know, and then the supply gets shorter after that. Then by default, just by time, the these... Uh, cards gain gain value because of their scarcity through natural means, not an inflated mean by the company just deliberately printing a few supply and then and it's like wait there's only a hundred Selzenol in the world oh shit these cards gotta be a thousand dollars a piece like damn that's ridiculous you know shouldn't create scarcity by deliberately short printing that is bullshit. But at the same time, I wouldn't care if that's what they, if they short print, you know, high rarity versions, you know, the, you know, Selzeno, as long as they gave us low rarity um, Selzenos that they print a whole bunch of, that will make up for it. Because then the people who want the high rarity and, and, and like the scarcity that there's only about so many supply of the Selzeno, for example, fine, have, have that, do your little, you know, collector, investor thingy, flip it, you know, trade it or whatever, do what y'all want to do. I got no problem with that as long as I can still have 
myself Zeno that I could play, have fun, and enjoy the game with. Play competitively, casually, whatever. Um, and maybe one day when I feel like it, I'll go grab one of them, you know, high rarity, you know, so Zeno's PSA 10 grade and stuff like that, and have me a nice collectible one. Because like, oh, nostalgia. I remember when I used to play this game, this card a lot, you know. Not this one with this rarity, obviously, but I played one like it, a lower rarity, but I still played the card, you know, and have that nostalgia factor, you know, and have it that way. That's the way it should be, because one of the things I like about Yu-Gi-Oh that they did a while back um, was the ultimate rare um, thing. That was one of the best things they did, to my opinion. Then they did Ghost Rare, which was also badass, and they did some other stuff, but it was the idea that they took a card that was a low rarity, that was easy to get, and then they made high rarity versions of them. I love that. Ultimate Rare was one of those things. But there was, they started doing stuff later where they took, like, common cards and turned them into super, you know, foil versions or secret rares or ultra. Like, they start putting them in a lot of the higher rarity stuff. And it's like, oh, that's so cool. Because now if I want a higher rarity version of a card that used to be common, as in used to not be high rarity, used to be not foil, now I can get a foil version. That's awesome. And then Magic, you know, does that. Where they, sometimes when you're opening up packs, you might get a foil land or a foil common. Like, you'll get foil of certain stuff. Um, Dragon Ball Super, they, they have done that a little bit. They do have um, foil and non-foil versions of cards. I wouldn't be surprised there is foil versions of the Goku and Vegeta uh, negate. It's just that the, the, per, the person, the people who sold me, because I bought from four different um, sellers, um, they sold me. The you know non foil versions because I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised there are foil versions of the card. I know there's the SPR version. I know there's the alternate art version, but that's way more pricier than the the ones I bought. But you would expect for how much I paid that I would get at least foil versions if there was foil versions of the cards. But instead, I got the non foils. But oh well, I'm not complaining because I'd rather have non foils for you know, actual gameplay, so I can actually play them, so I'm, not try I'm not trying to collect them, I'm trying to play them, but the price that I paid, I did expect them to be foiled, that's all I'm saying, and that'd be the end of this video, I mean, audio, podcast.